Welcome to the Vail Christian Church Podcast. Advent starts this week and Pastor Ben Pitney has a message about hope titled, Our Hope, the Appearing of Jesus Christ. Join us in Titus chapter 2 verses 11 through 13. At Vail Christian Church, we believe in training followers of Christ to worship, gather, give, and serve. Sunday in Advent, in the season of Advent, and so we're kind of excited to start that. I know Thanksgiving just kind of ended, right? But uh, this year, Advent starts on the last Sunday of November, and a lot of times when celebrating Advent, maybe you didn't grow up in a church that did. Um, It's a fairly liturgical tradition, so a lot of evangelical denominations didn't really focus on Advent, but I really love Advent because of the reminders of things. So today's um, theme to start Advent is um, hope. And so I asked Kevin and Chelsea if they would just uh, take a little bit of time and talk about hope with me for a few minutes. But Advent is this season, right, leading up to Christmas. And so for the next four Sundays, we'll be focusing on these themes. And so today we want to talk about hope. And hope is one of those things that we get kind of confused, I think, a little bit. We're not talking about cross your fingers kind of hope, right? We're talking about real things, true things. But hope is kind of a struggle, um, I think, a little bit in the way that we get distracted during this season. And we we sort of forget. And so, Kevin, I, I asked you, what do you think hope, why do you think hope doesn't come very naturally to us? You know, focusing on these promises of God, the promise of God and this truth and this real, I just don't think it really comes naturally to us the way we're, the way we kind of are. Why do you think that is? Yeah, well, I think, you know, we're born with that sinful nature and I think since the fall, um, I think it's really easy to, to look around us and see that there's a lot of pessimism. I mean, all of the big blockbusters are about our demise, right? We go to the movies and people are obsessed with that. Uh-huh. So I think that the enemy uses, really gets a foothold in the news headlines and everything else to convince us or to try to convince us that uh, we're losing this battle against him. And so, um, I, you know, when I look back in the in the Bible, and I love this verse, you know, Psalm 42, 5 says this, why are you depressed, O my soul? Why are you upset? Wait for God, for I will again give thanks to my God for his saving intervention. And it tells me that even the psalmist struggle with this as well. Even, you know, as bad as we think things are now, and we have, again, the headlines and all this stuff, this has been a struggle uh, for humanity since the fall. And the psalmist even has to ask himself, why have you forgotten about God's promises that God is good, that the best is yet to come? So true. Psalm 42 and 43 are really kind of one psalm designed to be read or sung together. And it is a wrestling match. It's like he's preaching to himself there because we don't like to wait. He says, why aren't you waiting what you know wait on the lord hope in the lord and um, so he has to kind of preach it to himself i think over and over in the psalm so 
So Chelsea, what do you do? What do you guys do? Do you do, you do some things to remind yourself, right, you know, of the hope that you have, things, um, things that maybe you engage in as a family? We do. <laughs> um, one, when we were talking through this question of passage that came to mind was Hebrews 11.1. 1. Now faith is being sure of what we hope for, being convinced of what we do not see. Um, and at this time of year, as our schedules fill up, it's really important that we, um, at least as a family, have been real intentional about things that we've allowed to come in and the things that we invest our time in. And throughout the years when our kids were little, we definitely did Jesse Tree and Truth in the Tinsel and all of those things. Um, but something that has been really important for us during this time is reminding ourselves of where God has brought us as a family and the hard things that he has brought us through and just his steadfast love through that and then also trying to share that with others and to find different ways of um, being intentional in other people's lives to share that hope. And I know for us, like we've done Giving Manger, um, the Sparkle Box, like any little things that just kind of trigger that in our kids' minds of being a blessing to others and sharing that hope with others during this time of year. Reminding yourselves and being intentional, I think it's really a big deal, especially when it comes to waiting and um, developing that anticipation. And then there's that celebrating. Do you do some things to celebrate, um, I think, you know, this hope that we have? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, just as Chelsea said, we've had these habits that we've been in over the years and these different things that we've done. But one of the things is just this daily routine um, of reading scripture together. And we're not perfect by any means, but I think we've, we've worked it in. And so we try to weave that in and, and remember and, and really teach our kids what this season is about. Um, because, you know, there's all these outside things that we can get involved in and help out around Christmas and things like that. But really, it's about the people that God puts in our sphere of influence, uh, who he's calling us to connect with, whether it's a neighbor or for the kids, whether it's uh, somebody at school and challenging them to be hope for somebody at school. We are God's messengers. We are his people who speak his word. And so uh, bringing hope into our sphere of influence into the people who God puts around us is one of the ways we really focus on this message. I, I like that. Just spending time together in the scripture. The scripture is always going to draw us back to center and remind us really uh, what things are all about. And that's, that's, we celebrate, I think, truly life in Christ through the scriptures. And so um, got to be very intentional with that, though. So, um, well, I, I appreciate you guys uh, taking a little bit of time to talk about hope with us. And um, we look forward to just the rest of uh, this season together. Thank you. Take your Bible and open it up to the New Testament, a book called Titus, chapter 2. That's where we're going to be today. So we're people of promise. We've talked about that. Advent is this season that we, the season that we call Advent is the season leading up to Christmas, right? And it begins four Sundays, sometimes the last Sunday of November. That's this year. The last Sunday of November is the first Sunday of Advent. And so um, for four weeks, it, it's as if we are reenacting and remembering the thousands of years of God's people 
and how they were anticipating and longing for the coming of God's salvation, Jesus. That's what Advent means. It means coming. But today, um, as we focus on hope, and I want to define hope, um, I want to take it just a little bit further because there's a big part, I, I believe, of our salvation and the coming of Jesus that we ignore, that we don't focus on during this time of year, that we get highly distracted with and we forget about. In fact, I would say also that there is a, um, there's not a belief in what we're going to talk about today, actually quite a bit, the appearing of Jesus Christ. So let's read first Titus chapter 2, now that I've sort of set you up just a little bit. And I think that you'll see what I mean as we just draw the truth out of the text. So chapter 2, starting in verse 11 says, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all people. It trains us to reject godless ways and worldly desires and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. As we wait for the happy fulfillment of our hope in the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, there's a lot Paul's pretty famous for run-on sentences, and he's famous for cramming a lot into just a few sentences, and he really does it here, okay? He's building something and reminding something. It's so simple, but it is so profound, and I think it's a fantastic and important reminder of some things this year. Now, first of all, what is biblical hope? I'm going to define it like this. Biblical hope, so that we don't get confused, because it's not cross your fingers kind of hope. I hope this happens, right? Biblical hope is different. Biblical hope is true, okay? Biblical hope is a confident expectation of good things to come. It's confident. I believe this. I know this is going to come true. It is true. I can count on this because God does what he says he's going to do. That is truth. He does not break his promises. He keeps his promises. He never changes. He fulfills his promises. This is biblical hope. The Hebrew author calls um, biblical hope full assurance of hope. I am fully assured. I, I fully know and am confident in this hope or truth. So, now I want to ask, it's really my first point, what is it that we are hoping for? Okay, we don't want to get confused about this. In the, the, the Bible verses here in Titus chapter 2, look at or focus on verse 13, because the answer is in verse 13. Verse 13 says, as we wait for the happy fulfillment of our hope in the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So, the answer is in there. The answer is the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So we set our hope on the second coming of our Lord. And this is where we, what we have to um, begin to understand and we get distracted from. We, we are so consumed with his first coming and the birth of Christ and celebrating the birth of Jesus at Christmas that we ignore or we um, 
forget or overlook even his second coming, but they're inseparable, and I want to show you this. And, and there is, I believe, by ignoring, and um, it's, it's sort of an attack on the center of life in Christ. And I believe that, you know, we walk through this series um, called the, really this great war, this battle between the kingdom of Satan and the kingdom of heaven. I think there is an attack on the belief that Jesus will return. I mean, when's the last time you listened to any Christmas special and what was included in the Christmas um, singing or celebration or thinking anything regarding the second coming of Christ or the return of Christ, right? Lots of people just don't even believe that it's going to happen. It's a total ignorance or um, just a, a stiff arming of it or that's crazy that's like fairy tale stuff like the cow jumped over the moon uh, kind of thing right so the center of life in Christ is the coming of the son of God into the world as a real man to destroy the works of the devil and to create a new people for his own glory that's for certain and we celebrate Jesus's birth all right at Christmas and this plan of doing it, the very heart of our faith is that Jesus did this by obeying God the Father, dying for the sins of his people, rising from the dead, ascending to God, to God's right hand with all of his enemies under his feet. That's where Jesus sits now, at the right hand of the Father, with all of his enemies under his feet. And so the second coming of Christ is the completion of this saving work. If you take it away, the whole fabric, the whole structure, the whole idea just of saving work, it just unravels and it comes apart. Think about it like this, a physical incarnation of the Son of God. That's what we celebrate at Christmas, right? Jesus was born a physical death. Jesus was born to die a physical resurrection. Jesus was born to die to rise again. A physical ascension. All right, now he's seated at the right hand of the Father. And then poof, vanish. Never to be seen again. No. No. You can see what's really behind this denial of a real second coming. It's the denial of the physical incarnation and the real physical resurrection. That's actually it. That's what's so scary. They cannot be separated. Jesus came to conquer. He will conquer. He will not be denied. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness of it, and he made it, and everything in it is his. He will have it. He's not evaporated into some, you know, realm of the spirit. He is reigning at the Father's right hand until the time for the restoration of all things. He will restore all things, make all things new. This is the fulfillment of our hope. We cannot forget that. And Advent, I think, is a great way of reminding us of this. Now, there's in these verses, let's go back to these verses because I, I want you to see something really. It's, it's like Paul's making a sandwich. All right? And you're going to see what I mean. 
I feel like I've eaten a lot of ham sandwiches and turkey sandwiches since Thanksgiving. First, from the text, there are two appearings of Christ in Titus 2. Two appearings of Christ. One's called the appearing, the appearance of grace, and the other's called an appearance of glory. The appearance of grace and the appearance of glory. So two times, right? So the first coming of Christ is the appearance of grace. Look at verse 13. As we wait for the happy fulfillment of our hope in the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's the first appearance. Excuse me, verse 11. I just messed that up. I don't know, Sherry's probably going, what? Look at verse 11. Here's verse 11. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all people. The grace of God has appeared. So that's what we sell, celebrate, the birth of Christ. God appeared through Jesus, the baby Jesus in the manger, and all that story right there. That's the grace of God appearing, bringing salvation to all people. That's the first coming of Christ, the appearance of grace. Verse 13, excuse me now, is as we wait for the happy fulfillment of our hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. That is the second coming of Christ, the appearance of glory. So you can underline those two uh, words, appearance or appearing, right? First grace, then glory. This is really simple, but it's really important we overlook this. In Paul's mind, these two are inseparably linked Because they are, which is why the rejection of a real second coming is an attack on the very center of our faith, namely the first coming of Christ to die for our sins. They cannot be separated. The Christ who will come in glory is the Christ who came in grace, the same Christ, but this is the completion and the fulfillment of God's plan. Verse 14, then, look at verse 14, describes how that grace appeared. Look at verse 14. He gave himself for us to set us free from every kind of lawlessness and to purify for himself a people who are truly his, who are eager to do good. Now, so when the grace of God appeared in history 2,000 years ago, more than 2,000 years ago, The grace appeared as a real man who really died to set us free from sin and to make us eager, or you could say passionate. We like that word in the 21st century. Passionate to do good. This was the purpose of the appearance of God's grace in Jesus Christ. Okay? That same purpose of grace is found in verse 12. Look at verse 12. Okay, it trains us, Paul says this, it trains us to reject godless ways and worldly desires and to live a self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. That's the same thing as saying in verse 14 that Christ came to purify for himself a people who are truly his, who are eager to do good. Why did he come? What was his purpose? To get us ready to do some things. We have a mission. We have purpose. He gives it to us, right? So now watch this. Here it is. So verse 12 and verse 14 
are like the bread around the meat in verse 13, right? Both verses describe the purpose and the effect of God's grace as it appeared in the first coming of Jesus Christ. That's all Christmas, but the meat is in the middle of the sandwich, right? Verse 13, the happy fulfillment of our hope. So if you want to eat a sandwich with no meat in it, some people do, then just celebrate Christmas and don't celebrate his second coming. It's only half of the whole thing. God's grace, listen, God's grace started something in our lives through the first coming of Christ. And his glory will complete it through the second coming of Christ. You cannot separate that. And it's very simple, but how much, how often do we do it? How often do we read the Christmas story, which is just the middle of the story, by the way. It started way back before that, all of God's promises. We start with the middle, thinking that's the beginning, and we leave out the best part, the fulfillment. Now, it's a looking back and a looking forward. So looking back and looking forward. That's really my third point. I think it'd be fair to say on the basis of these four verses that the incentive and the power to live life as a Christ follower, pleasing to God, comes from two directions. We have to look back and we have to look forward. That's the essence of Advent. Looking back and looking forward. Remembering. That's the power that's in uh, the Lord's Supper. Right? Remembering. Looking back. And looking forward, right? So all of this power is in, in these two different directions. It comes from looking back with gratitude to the grace of God that appeared in Jesus. We're thankful for Christ at his first coming when he purchased our redemption. Born to die to rise again, he purchased our redemption. Redemption, And it comes from looking forward with hope to the glory of God that will appear at the second coming when he completes our redemption. Hebrews chapter 9. This, you have to turn there for yourself. Be careful. Don't put it up too soon, Sherry. Flip through this and find these two verses yourself. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27 and 28. Describes the connection between the past and the future work of Christ. It's as clear as it gets. I think you should, this should be memorized. I think it should be read and and talked about and discussed during Advent every year. Here these two verses are. The Hebrew author is, is brilliant at, at describing the connection. Here it is, Hebrews 9, 27 and 28. And, Jesus, and just as people are appointed to die once and then face judgment in verse 27, so also after Christ was offered once, to bear the sins of many, to those who eagerly await him, he will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation. Wow. Wow. That's as good as it gets. This passage teaches so clearly that the saving work of Christ began with his first coming when he took on our sin in his body on the cross and it'll be completed at his second coming when he saves us from the final wrath of God. And man, that's gonna be a day when Jesus returns. 
the wrath is going to be unleashed. And God's, or Christ's work saves us from that final wrath of God and gives us eternal life in his kingdom. Remember, if you've been here over this last number of weeks, we've talked about this war and this great battle between the kingdom of Satan and the kingdom of God. We know who's going to win and we know what's going to happen and how it's going to go. And it's going to be It's going to be glorious if you belong to the kingdom of God and it's going to be bad if you reject the way, right? When you strip away the second coming, salvation's torn in half. You can't strip the second coming from the first coming. Half of salvation is not salvation. Look at what is coming, right? So who's going to be saved at the second coming then? Well, verse 28 of the Hebrews verses, right? To those who eagerly await him, he will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation. He bore our sin the first time. He will save those who are waiting for him, waiting for him. Remember, we were talking with Kevin and Chelsea, what's... What's so distracting at Christmas is we don't like to wait. <laughs> we don't like to wait. We have to be very intentional focusing on the promises of God because we are waiting, not waiting like a criminal on death row waits for the day of his execution. That's not us. That's, that's not who we are. It's, this is an exciting return, right? We're saved, but like waiting for that, you know what it's like? Now, if you're a parent, you can't think like this. Think like your child. It's like waiting for the last day of school at the beginning and the beginning of vacation. That's like I can't wait for school to be out, right? Can you hear the bell ring and just go, I am out of here. That's exciting. Now, mom and dad are like, oh, my gosh, vacation, what am I going to do? Summer break, right? What does this have to do with me? Now I'm going to string this out just a little bit, okay? So don't get up. Just sit still for a second. Hold on. I got just a couple more minutes. Watch how this works. What's this have to do with me? All right, let me just ask this question. Do you eagerly await Christ's coming? Or have you been kind of ignoring this? Do you eagerly await Christ's coming? And I don't mean do you believe in the doctrine, okay? Not that. Do you really eagerly await him? This is really important. It's, a, it's, a, it's another way of sort of testing the authenticity of your faith. Peter says in his first letter, 1 Peter 2, 7, he says, it, just this one phrase, he says, so you who believe see his value. He's talking to people who believe and he's describing um, their belief and he's encouraging and he's motivating and teaching and he's saying, look, when you believe, you see, you get, you value him when you believe, okay? And so the value of Christ is the evidence of your faith. And the anticipation of his coming is the evidence of his value. How much do you value summer break and vacation, right? I really value it. And so you can test the reality of your faith by whether you are eagerly waiting for Christ's coming. 
Does your mind return frequently, is another way to ask it, to the truth of Christ's appearing? The second appearing. What does this have to do with me? Well, you cannot separate his second coming and his second appearing. We shouldn't do that. See? Or number two, when your mind turns to the truth of his appearing, does your heart want it? Is there an eagerness to see him? Because it's a great way of measuring how much you value Christ. If you come up short when you're answering these questions, right, there's some possible explanations, okay? Now, I don't know if you're going to like it or not, but here's the explanation, okay? And we, we, we have to talk about truth, right? Maybe you've trusted Christ as your Savior, and he's your Lord, and you've said, look, I've, yes, I'm sworn allegiance to the king, but you have not been well taught about the second coming. It's been something that's been ignored, or you haven't spent enough time in the truth of God's word, right? And, and the ignorance of his second coming hinders the eager expectation of your heart and your prayers. I think a lot of us are in this category, because we, we, I get caught up just like anybody, in this season, in this time, and it's, I'm focused on Jesus' birth, but not his second coming. Here's another explanation. Maybe you've trusted Christ as Savior and Lord, and you've sworn allegiance to the King, but you may know, you may know in your head the truth of his second coming, but you've grown cold, you've grown distant, you haven't felt for some time that Christ is valuable. You just drifted away from the Lord. And that seeing him would be the fulfillment of all your hope. And so you've drifted that far away. You know, that's some of, I think, what we're trying to do with our four recovery ministry is remind people that who've drifted and who've grown cold and distant, you're doing it on your own. It's not a good way of doing it. And here's, a, here's another possible reason why second coming is just not, not in your purview. You may have never submitted to Christ. You may have never surrendered your heart to Christ. You may, you may have never sworn allegiance to Christ the King and trusted him as Savior. And so you stand in desperate need of new birth. The coming of Christ is worthy of eager expectation. If any of these conditions fit you, listen, for just a minute, I, I just want to show you from Titus 2.13 that the coming of Christ is, is worth it, is worthy of your most passionate and eager expectation. My prayer is that you would be kind of shook a little bit this morning, all right, and, and long for and love his uh, appearing. Paul says that the appearance of the grace of God at Christ's first coming trains us to eagerly wait for the happy fulfillment of our hope in the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. There's just, there's three things in there that I think are profound, actually. Number one is it's a fulfilled hope, a fulfilled hope, right? We, we should eagerly wait for the happy fulfillment of our hope in the Glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, because this is 
the fulfilled, real, true, blessed hope. A fulfilled or blessed hope, so to speak, is the opposite of a cursed hope. When Jesus returns, if you are not ready, it should be the first reason to be eager for this great day that it will mean being fulfilled, not cursed. You won't face the wrath of God. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Right out of Paul's other letter to the Roman church, right? There is only a blessing and fulfilling for those who are in Christ Jesus. And as awesome as the coming of Christ will be, there will be no, you will face no wrath if you are a Christ follower. And notice what is called, what Christ is called in this verse, the great God and Savior. Savior, not, not, not judge, Savior. You know, we walk through the, the putting on the full armor of God. He says, uh, Paul says, let's put on this breastplate of faith and love and the helmet of hope of our salvation. For God's not destined us for wrath, he says, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. It's a, it's a fulfillment, uh, and he says happy, a happy fulfillment of hope, not, a, not facing the wrath of God, that cursed wrath of God. Our hope is confident expectation of salvation, not wrath. And then how about this visible hope? You know, I just spent a little bit of time looking around throughout the scriptures about this visible hope. It's a glorious appearing of our great God. It's an appearing, physical appearing, visible appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Ever since the Son of God became a man, men and women have wanted to see Jesus. Um, you maybe know the story of um, Philip and Nathaniel. He says, come and see, come and see Jesus. I found him. Zacchaeus, why does he climb up in the tree? Right? Because he wanted to see Jesus. The Greeks said to um, his disciples, we want to see Jesus. The apostle Paul wrote, now we see him through a glass dimly or darkly, but then face to face. And then John seems to make every effort, the gospel writer John, everything, he makes everything hang on this one hope. It, it does not, he says, it does not yet appear what, what we shall be, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is, right? I want to see Jesus. I don't want a Zoom call. Oh, I'm so sick of Zoom calls. I want to see Jesus and hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. It's a visible hope when he returns. Everybody's going to know and everybody's going to see. <laughs> And a glorious hope, a glorious hope. As we wait for the happy fulfillment of our hope in the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, what's it going to look like, by the way? A glorious appearing? Listen to John's attempt to put it into words. And I think it's just an attempt. I feel like when you read um, John, uh, as he tries to describe what this is going to look like, I think he's straining I really do. Revelation chapter 1, verses 13, start at verse 13. 
Look at how he strains to just describe it. And in the midst of the lampstands, or the, you know, the churches and church people, was one like a, a son of man. He was dressed in a robe extending down to his feet, and he wore a wide golden belt around his chest. His head and hair were as white as wool, even as white as snow. And his eyes were like a fiery flame. His feet were like polished bronze refined in a furnace. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. He held seven stars in his right hand. And a sharp double-edged sword extended out of his mouth. His face shone like the sun, shining at full strength. Can you just see how he's just straining to describe this physical appearance of Jesus' return. The gospel of Matthew. Matthew, he strains as well. Matthew 24, verse 30 says, they will see the Son of Man arriving on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory and he will send his angels with a loud trumpet blast and they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. It's going to be huge, he says. <laughs> and Paul, 2 Timothy 4, 8, finally, the crown of righteousness, he says, is reserved for me, finally. The Lord, the righteous judge, will award it to me in that day, and not to me only, but also to all who have set their affection on his appearing. In this glorious Hope, right? Do you hope for the appearing of Christ? If not, maybe during this Advent season, you can pray for your heart to wake up, to wake up this Christmas and set your mind to focus on the fulfillment and the visible, glorious coming of our great God and Savior. Jesus Christ. I hope this Christmas can be different. I hope it can be different for you. There's a lot that I want to enjoy and that I'm looking forward to and my kids and family and friends and just good things, right? But let's not forget that our hope is in the appearing of Jesus Christ, not just the first time, but the second time. And it's connected, looking back and looking forward don't leave out the meat in this awesome sandwich. <laughs> Don't leave it out. Father in heaven, thank you for this truth, this biblical hope, this confident expectation of good things to come. I'm praying, Lord, now that as we keep journeying through these next number of weeks, <clears throat> that as we rub shoulders with our friends and family and people we work with and that we would engage about true and real and good and right things. Help us to look back and look forward at the same time. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Vail Christian Church Podcast. If you have any questions, would like more information, or would like to see the video cast of this message, please visit our website at www.failchristian.com.